Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. We are in a sermon series on the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. These are a series of statements that are sprinkled throughout the Gospel, uh, of that Gospel that reveal Jesus' character. I am the following. Uh, so we've looked at I am the bread, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And this week, I am the good shepherd. Uh, Beth Whitehead, who was with us, was spoke around this subject, but her subject was the gate, so which is a, a few verses earlier, just so you don't think we're being redundant uh, this Sunday. I am the good shepherd. And it strikes me that this I am statement is a little different from all the others in the following regard. Uh, most of the I am statements, they don't have a direct application. Uh, what I mean is that when Jesus says, I am the bread, the application for that statement is not that you and I should be bread likewise. Uh, the application is that you and I should be nourished by Jesus like the body is nourished by bread. That is not the case when you get to this statement, I am the good shepherd. This is not only a revelation of who Jesus is, but it's also an aspiration. Uh, you're probably familiar that the image of a shepherd is a very common one uh, in the Bible. Obviously, in, in our tradition, our, our Bishop carries a shepherd's crook, uh, not because he's special, but because he reminds us of who we ought to be. There's a shepherding quality that's a part of every uh, follower of Christ. Uh, the good shepherds in the Old Testament and the New Testament were, excuse me, the good leaders of the Old Testament and New Testament were referred to as shepherds. And so while we look at this statement, I am the good shepherd, it will be for two purposes, not only revelation, who Jesus is, but also aspiration, who we ought to be. Follow along with me in some sermon notes you'll find on page 11. And I see six distinctions between the good shepherd and the hired hand. And we're going to work quickly through those six distinctions. And as we do, we're going to ask the passage, what does this tell us about Jesus? And Further, what does it tell us about who we ought to be by his grace? And so the first distinction I see is one of care. And I am in verse, uh, sermon notes are in verse 11. Verse 13 of the passage, John chapter 10, verse 13 says, The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. By inference, the good shepherd does. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Uh, that's one of the astounding claims of the Christian faith, that God cares for you and me. This is from Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars you have set in course. Right. So when I consider how big the universe is, and the, notice it's the work of God's fingers. It's not even, he, he didn't put his back into it. Uh, the universe is the, the product of the work of his fingers. When I consider how big the universe is and how big you are, Psalm 8 goes on to ask, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you should seek him out? And again, one of the astounding claims of the Christian faith is that God, the creator of all, is mindful. You, what's on God's mind? Not uh, the nexus and the solar flares and everything that composes the universe. What's on his mind? You, me. He is mindful of man and woman. What does this mean for you and me? We should be people like our good shepherd. We should care. Now, if you I was a child of the 90s. I was born in 74, so I kind of came of age. I was uh, graduated high school in 1992. And there was a brief period in the early 90s when it was cool not to care. You had bands like Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam. And it was just kind of... They, 
Uh, I don't care. Life is meaningless. And they, and they made a fortune on life being meaningless, but that's kind of ironic. We'll move on from that. They're wrong. It is not cool not to care. Alan, uh, uh, there's an author named uh, Cornelius Plantinga, and he writes of the many expressions of sin in a book called The Breviary of Sin. And he writes this. So one of the, his contention is that one of the ways sin is expressed is through this sort of shrug. Uh, don't care. All right? He writes, the person who does not care, the person who hands himself over to nothing, in effect says to God, you have made nothing of interest. You have redeemed no one of consequence, including me. He continues, many make a career out of nothing. They wander the malls, back when people wandered the malls. Uh, they kill time, they make small talk, they watch television programs until we know their, the characters of the TV better than our own children. That's one of the expressions of sin, sort of this kind of total shrug uh, of life. And the Bible just says that's not how you and I should be. One of the characters of the book of Proverbs that is continually critiqued is the scoffer, the person who just shrugs at life. I referenced Pierre, who didn't care, which no one had heard of. I was a little disappointed. Uh, the children's book by Maurice Sednak, Pierre, who doesn't care. You and I should not be like Pierre. Who we should care. What should you care about? I don't care. It's a little funny. Uh, but my point is there are plenty of things you should care about. Like the sky is the limit. Just care about something that's worth caring about. Care about God's creation. Care about good causes. Care about good art. Care about good grammar. Above all, care about people, but for God, for Pete's sake, care. The good shepherd cares. Christians should care. What should we care about? I put people high up on that list. So let's move on. The first point, distinction of concern. A second point is one of intimacy. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Right? So there's a connection, there's an intimacy. Uh, by contrast, of course, the hired hand does not know the sheep and the sheep do not know him. Not only does the Bible hold that God cares for us, he knows us. He knows us intimately. The psalm, psalmist says in Psalm 139 that before a word is on my mouth, you know it completely. I have one friend, I've been friends with this, this individual for 30 years. He lives over in Indianapolis and we are two peas in a pod. And we spent our summers together. We were camp counselors together. And he is probably, aside from my wife, one of the few people who knows the words before they come out of my mouth. We'll look at something, and I'll look at him. I know what you're thinking. And that's an intimacy. That's a knowledge that only comes after years and years of intimacy. Jesus knows the words, that bef the, the, the words when they're just thoughts. That is how well he knows us. That is a comment on his connection to you and me, his intimacy with you and me. What does that mean for, you, for us? That we should be connected. One church leader says this. An evangelizer, and that's a general term for those who want to be about Christ's work. An evangelizer must take on the smell of his sheep if the sheep are willing to hear his voice. Now that's a very evocative statement. The, the shepherd begins to smell like his sheep. Now you all smell fine. Uh, the, the point is not that, the point is simply that we should be close enough to take on 
well, in this case, the smell of the sheep. One of our staff values is proximity. We believe in the importance at Christ the King of being face to face and eye to eye. I know I'm not the only one with concerns about the long-term impacts of interacting solely through screens due to the pandemic. We believe at this church that it is vital that we be face to face and eye to eye with one another. A matter of fact, I place a special priority on being in your homes. I've invited myself over to more than a few of your homes. Why? Because I believe that five minutes in your home of looking at pictures on the wall and art on the refrigerator is worth five hours in a coffee shop. The shepherd knows his sheep. He's intimate with his sheep. We should be the type of people who develop a fondness for being with people. That's our second distinction. The third distinction between the good shepherd and the hired hand is one of commitment. In verse 12, when the hired hand sees the wolf, he leaves the sheep and flees. By contrast, the good shepherd stays. Uh, Jesus is faithful. Uh, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. What is one of the qualities of the good shepherd? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Even there, your right hand guides me. Jesus is faithful. He will never leave you. What does that mean for you and me? That we, by his grace, ought to be like him. Faithful and committed. Mark Nichol was an Anglican missionary in Sudan in the early 80s. And during the time he served, Sudan was in, at that time, the longest running war ever and probably the most costly war in terms of human life. He wrote letters of support back to his friends, and those letters are compiled in a book titled, Why Haven't You Left? And one of those letters is dated August 19, 1986. Mark recounts learning a new song by the struggling Christians of that land. And the song went something like this, Father of our Lord in heaven, visit us. We are worried. The hardships of the world are upon us. We are left alone. We are left alone. We are left alone. That from the, uh, the people of that land. And throughout this letter, Mark recounts the number of people, his companions and educators and missionaries and social workers who are beginning to, to leave and to evacuate. He writes... Um, among our students, questions percolate more steadily each day. When will we evacuate? How will we evacuate? When will we leave? And he concludes this letter by saying this, to leave in rough times like these feels like deserting your own family. It is almost unthinkable. In this unsteady times, there is something very true, very firm about the gospel of Christ. We are not alone. We have not left. We stay here. Thus the title of the book. Why haven't you left? And I just think that's a great aspiration. Wouldn't it be great to live a life that at some point in time, as you care for a sick friend, a sick family member, as you, you remain committed to a, a worthy cause, why haven't you left? Jesus, if you were asked the question, why haven't you left, would find his response in verse 18. We move to our fourth distinction. Our fourth distinction is one of motivation. The hired hand is there because he's hired, he's paid. But in verse 18, Jesus tells us why he is 
committed, why he lays down his life. He says, no one takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord. I offer it freely. We had a marriage here yesterday. As a ceremony begins, I say something to the bride and the groom that sounds a lot like the marriage vows. It's not. I ask them, will you have this woman, this man to have and to hold in sickness and in health? You know the words. And they respond, I will. That sounds a lot like a marriage. The vows, it's not. It's called the declaration of intent. And the purpose of that portion of the service is to establish why each bride, why the bride and groom are present. They are not compelled. They are not being acted on forces outside of their control. They're not being swept along by the tidal way of love. They are there by their own free choice. Right. No one takes their life. No one compels their decision. Behind every faithful commitment, there lies a, uh, behind every committed relationship, behind every, every commitment, there lies a simple choice. No one takes my life. I lay it down. As you know, many of us, we are in the midst of a, a search for a permanent church home. And many of you have given so, so generously. I've mentioned the fact that we have a, just the right vestry and leadership over our church for this time. And one of the members of our vestry is the head of uh, the uh, fundraising for Georgetown. So just an incredible endowment. And no one likes to talk about money. Certainly clergy don't like to talk about money. And I have learned so much for this person whose job it is to talk about money. And he said, to the, he told me this, David, you know, don't think that there's some magic word that you're going to say, something that you're just going to compel, you know, twist the arm that, you know, you should really... So your job is to make the need known and to let people act freely according to their own desires. And you have. Thank you. More to say on that during announcements. Let me review where we've been and then move forward. We've seen the difference between the good shepherd and the hired hand lies in their concern, in their connection with the sheep, in their commitment to the sheep, their motivation, now finally the effect, sort of the ultimate. The good shepherd lays down their life for his sheep. Obviously, that's a reference to the cross. And what does that mean for you, that you and I should lay down our lives for one another? And that sounds really scary, really dramatic. But here's the thing. I think if you and I have focused on those four uh, preliminary things, caring for things worth caring about, uh, being uh, knowing people, being committed to people, being motivated freely to care and commit to people, laying down your life will come naturally. Jesus' offering of his life was the logical next step of his previous commitments. He lays down his life for you and me because he cares for you, because he is committed to you, because he is motivated freely to do so. I see one last distinction between the hired hand and the good shepherd. And that is the good shepherd is loved. For this reason, the, fathers love, the father loves me. That's the end of your verse, end of your passage. For this reason, the father loves me, that I laid down my life for the sheep. By inference, the hired hand who does not lay down his life for his sheep is not loved by the Father. We have a tradition in my family that every time we have a birthday, 
We go around the table and we say, the family says what they appreciate, what they, we don't use the word love, but what we love about the other person. So it was just my birthday a couple of days ago and we went around the circle and said, Dad, we, etc. So just imagine with me, if you could sit at a similar birthday party with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they were to go around the table and say what they appreciated about one another, the Father, God the Father, would say this about the Son. Of all the attributes I appreciate about you, Son, and there are many, by the way, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, has many, many attributes. He is the creator and maker of all. The list goes on. There are quite a number of admirable attributes to the second person of the Trinity. Yet, the Father would say this. The thing that I appreciate most about you, Son, is your generosity, uh, your commitment, your sacrifice, those things that will lead to the cross. That, of all the things about you, that is what I love most. And wouldn't it be great to live a little bit like that today? Not in dramatic ways, but in simple, small ways. To lay down your life freely, just like Jesus did. Knowing that this is the one quality, a generosity of spirit, a willingness to lay down your life that the Father loves most of all. So I conclude. The Good Shepherd is concerned. He is connected. He is committed. He is motivated. He is deeply affected by the lives of his sheep. And because this is true, he is deeply loved by the Father. The statement, I am the good shepherd, reveals who Jesus is. And it reveals who we, by his grace, can be. Please rise.